Hello and welcome to another edition of the Be Bullish podcast. I'm Alex Ely, CIO of the U.S. Growth Equity Team, here with a couple guests today to talk about uh, ESG investing. Uh, first, we have we have Barry Gladstein. He's head of sustainable investments for Macquarie Asset Management in the public investment uh, sector. Um, so he knows a lot about this. And then also we have Jane Fisher, our director of research for the U.S. Growth Equity Team. Who, who looks at these issues a lot as well. Um, ESG, if you don't know, is, is something that uh, investment managers are looking at more and more, the corporations are addressing more and more. And it's important to be educated about the topic and how it matters to you when it comes to investing. So welcome, Barry, welcome, Jane. Uh, welcome to the show, thanks for coming on. Thanks, thanks Alex. Alex. Glad to be here. Great. Um, well, Barry, um, what does ESG mean? Let's start up with the basics. If you could go over what, what this acronym means um, you know, to everybody and, and why we're looking at it. Sure, and uh, I guess um, I should uh, you know, ask you for help, Alex, along the way, because I've been involved with this stuff for a while and sometimes we throw out acronyms that I assume everyone knows about. So if, if I'm going down that path, just say, hey, Barry, please explain. And so starting sure. with uh, ESG, so the E stands for environmental, the S stands for social, and the G stands for governance. And really what, it, what ESG investing is about is that investors are caring more and more that their asset managers are incorporating the environmental, the social, and the governance risks in analyzing the companies that they invest in. And also, in addition to the risks, these, these aspects also present opportunities, opportunities to make money, to catch companies that are, are really taking advantage and can benefit from these increasing trends in the marketplace. Barry, there seems to be a real groundswell of interest, you know, stating the obvious, and it seems to have started more in earnest overseas. I mean, just from our perspective, more and more RFPs are focusing on what component it is uh, of our investment process or, you know, how, really how we look at it and they're placing money with firms where it's a significant part of their process. We're also starting to see that more in the US. Can you tell us a little bit about the evolution there and where you see things going forward? Sure, and I'm, you know, so I've been doing this for about five, six years now. And I've definitely seen a change in both expectations and level of interest. So five, six years ago, um, it would be rare. Um, we would still get some questions and, you know, back then and even, you know, more recently, a lot of it was just kind of check the box type questions in terms of uh, clients and prospects wanting to know, similar to how I spoke about before, that their managers are looking at these issues, that they're addressing the risks associated with them, looking at possible opportunities. That's traditionally called ESG consideration in that you're considering ESG factors in the investment process but it doesn't necessarily influence your ultimate decision as far as what companies get into a portfolio. As we've seen that evolve, now more and more there's increasing interest in what's called dedicated ESG or sustainable funds or, or products. So instead of just say, considering a risk, you know, is the company exposed to, you know, say, you know, issues regard, regarding climate change or uh, issues with their employees, and assessing that risk and determining that they're being compensated to take on that risk. Instead, there's more of a movement. If you're a dedicated ESG or sustainable fund, it's no longer good enough to just say, 
all right, here's the risk and I analyze it. If you've addressed, if you've identified a risk, in either it prevents you from investing in that company as a whole, or if you're going to invest in that company, there's an effort to then engage with the underlying company to make sure that they are reducing or eliminating those risks entirely. So when, when people are doing this kind of analysis, Barry, are, are they just using the ratings or that, that are provided from, from different ratings providers uh, where they get certain scores on the different companies or do they, uh, or is it more reliant on what the company is guiding them to? So, um, you know, so kind of, it's interesting. There's some firms that are just using ratings. Um, in my role as head of sustainable investing, I, I'm sort of an internal consultant to our investment teams in terms of what best practices are from ESG. That certainly isn't something that I would advocate as a best practice, especially the way that ESG ratings um, you know, are determined that um, there's, there's been a few interesting studies. So you can't really correlate ESG ratings to say bond ratings where there's a correlate, there's about a 90% correlation between S&P and Moody's risk ratings from a bond perspective. The two largest ESG ratings providers out there are Sustainalytics and MSCI. There's less than a 50% correlation between their ESG ratings. So only relying on one, even relying on both of them. Um, we've used the analogy, I think, with your team as well, Alex, that if you just, just rely on one ratings agency, it's similar to relying on, say, one major sell side firm like a Morgan Stanley or a JP Morgan to determine you know, whether or not you can put a stock in your portfolio. It should be an input into the investment process, but certainly not the main determiner of that. I think you hit on one of the challenges there, Barry. It's one that we face as well, you know, depending on which rating agency you use. Sometimes, you know, your portfolio could come out looking great. Others, you know, are looking at data from several years ago with regard to a specific company. Um, it also sometimes seems to be based on a company's intent rather than current actions. So there seems to be some subjectivity, including companies not necessarily even getting credit if they're using recycled materials in their products. Where do you see things going from here? Do you think that the metrics to evaluate companies will improve and there'll be some you know, aggregation towards a mean for these rating companies so that there's not such a difference depending on who, who you use? Yeah, so there's definitely an effort to, towards standardization. So um, yeah, there's an organization out there, the SASB Alliance, that their whole premise is having standardized reporting on what they've identified as material ESG factor. And so you know, that makes it easier for investors like ourselves, where you know, if a company is deploying the SASB standards, then, they, then an investor can have comparability between a company's dis, one company's disclosures versus another's. And you know, we're actually seeing you know, the regulators possibly getting involved in this addresses one of your earlier questions, Jane, as far as segueing from Europe to the US. Just recently, the SEC gave an indication that they're going to require um, standardized disclosures on, uh, on carbon emissions. So what's called scope one and scope two emissions that will determine, you know, so companies will have to report what their overall emissions level are is so that investors like ourselves can then compare, see what a company's um, risks are and emissions are and then compare one company to another. So it's going to evolve towards more standardization, but like with, you know, 
this is what we think is one of the benefits of fundamental analysis for investors who care about ESG issues, that it really is more of an art than a science, and it's up to the talent of an individual investor and individual analyst to know the right questions to ask companies, the right the material factors to focus on, and then make their judgment accordingly. Barry, you, you had mentioned before in earlier discussions we have that that some asset managers are demanding or, or saying that, that by 2030, they're only going to invest in companies that have made uh, carbon commitments or certain kinds of carbon commitments through 2050. Uh, can you elaborate on that to me? Sure. So that's part of, and, and you know, this is an, an amazing thing in terms of how we've seen a groundswell uh, in interest on these issues and climate in particular. So um, there's an organization out there called the Net Zero Asset Managers Initiative, NZAMI for short. Um, and so- NZAMI? NZAMI, N-Z-A-M-I, NZAMI. So, <laughs> All right, great. I, I, Thank I, you. I gave you the full term before just throwing out NZAMI. <laughs> so, you know, so I'm getting better with that. Um, so if you are a signatory to NZAMI, you have made a promise to have all of your assets managed under what's called the net zero framework um, by the year 2050. And what the net zero framework entails is, some, is what you mentioned before. So net zero in it of itself means that the company's emissions are at zero. In essence, the, you know, if they're admitting any sort of emissions, they're taking other factors to reduce the emissions, um, whether it's via planting trees, uh, carbon capture technology, which is expanding. So either they're cutting their emissions overall through increased use of renewable energy, and they're also uh, deploying their own other methods to then reduce overall emissions. So that's what net zero means. And so as part of NZAMI, asset managers have signed on to make this commitment that all of their portfolio holdings will have a net zero framework in place by the year 2050. So to demonstrate the groundswell involved, and Zami just had an update call a few weeks ago, and they said that there's now more than $50 trillion, yep, trillion with a T, that is being managed by NZAMI signatories. That represents more than half of all assets under management are being managed by signatories to NZAMI. So translating that to what that means for an individual company, if there's an individual company out there that isn't paying attention to net zero, they, in essence, run the risk of losing half their shareholder base, ultimately, because all of those uh, asset managers have pledged to be net zero by the year 2050. Great. Well, I mean, my goodness, that must be creating a, a massive change in, in the industry as a whole in terms of uh, where flows are and what's happening. Um, is, are, are there a lot of flows coming into ESG versus other areas of active management? So, yeah, I mean, if, if you've read the studies, and I'm sure you guys have seen it, you know, sustainable slash ESG funds are one of the few areas that are seeing positive flows. The last statistics I saw from Morningstar showed about $72 billion in positive flows into sustainable funds in the year 2021. Total AUM is now up to about $360 billion. And so, yeah, there is a groundswell of momentum as investors, in essence, you know, want to have a comfort that um, A, their managers are addressing these issues because they're important issues to them, and also comfort level feeling that, you know, they're happy with where their money, where their dollars are being put to work and avoiding 
you know, certain sectors that may make them uncomfortable. Well, for everyone that's listening, um, just to understand those numbers. So you said we had 72 uh, billion that were added and we're now up to 362. Is that correct? Yep. yep. All right. So that's an increase of uh, pretty much around 25%. A 25% increase in, in an area of asset management um, is very unusual. This is not something that happens all the time. So for people that are listening out there and, and want to understand where things are going, where flows are going, um, they're certainly getting flows in the ESG space. Um, just to, to make sure everyone understands as well, um, we are not explicit ESG investors when it comes to the U.S. growth equity team, um, but we do pay attention. And you know, as Barry was saying, not only is it a positive for um, where you can invest, but it also helps you avoid risk in different areas as well. At risk in terms of of people that uh, or, or companies that that haven't done a good job in these areas and how they they may be shunned in the future. So that's certainly a a pretty uh, dramatic change in terms of thinking that's happening in the industry. I think uh, more standardization is good. Clearly, anytime you see this massive flow, you know, into any area of the market. Um, more often than, than not, more regulation comes in. I also saw that uh, Morningstar cut 1,200 funds from their European sustainable investment list. I think that's also a trend that will continue. I think most people are well-intentioned, but you know there will be firms out there or funds out there and possibly not through anything malicious, but just because the, the standards are a bit murky currently, they think they're doing the right thing. They think they are an ESG fund. But because the, the criteria isn't necessarily black or white, um, you know, they might be making false claims unknowingly. Yeah, no, that's a good point, Jane. And yes, standardization is important. Disclosure is also important. I'm actually on uh, the CFA Institute's um, ESG Technical Committee, and we just issued standards um, last fall that, in essence, want to standardize disclosures for ESG funds so that investors can look at a template and see exactly you know, what ESG issues are important that the investment manager um, is looking at and analyzing, um, how they go about analyzing these factors, and also issues like stewardship, which we haven't touched upon, which is also becoming more, more important. Stewardship is related to proxy voting and engagements with companies to make sure that they are, you know, that you're kind of expressing, um, you know, your ownership privileges and letting companies know how you feel and, and what you expect from them from an action standpoint. Well, I mean, that's that's a lot of information on ESG. It certainly helps helps me understand um, where things are going and and where things, you know, are happening. And you know, this is all about making corporations better, and and that's really one of the trends that we've seen. Uh, you know, it, with within the uh, investment world today is that people want to connect to their corporations. They want their corporations to to do good in society and do good for the world and the environment and and so forth. And and ESG can be a certainly a big part of that. So it, it's exciting to think about, and I think it makes for a, a better investing environment and a and a better world overall. So I think that you're you're doing great work for us there in terms of understanding that and and being a, a leader and sounding board for us when it, when it comes to investment teams understanding this all, Barry. Yeah, thanks, Alex. And yeah, the other thing to add is, you know, we are seeing companies respond. I'm sure you as you are as well. Um, one statistic I saw 
is that in um, second quarter 2021, 150 of the S&P 500 funds, actually we're talking about ESG issues, that might seem not a lot, only 150 out of 500, but just a year ago, it was only 50. So that's about a tripling in companies that are addressing the issues in just one year's time and more and more on um, earnings releases and whatnot. Companies are really you know, putting their best foot forward and trying to you know, share with their investors what they're doing. So thanks for wow. your support. That's a huge. That's a huge change. Yeah, exactly. And that's what we're seeing. So the, you know, the movement is working for those, for those people who complain that we're not doing enough. You know, there are, there is good progress being made. Well, personally, Barry, I'm very happy to have you on board. You're a wealth of knowledge. Anytime I get kind of painted into a quarter corner on any issue, I'm like, uh, let me call Barry. So we appreciate <laughs> your support and your insight because it's, it's a sticky wicket. It's complicated. And uh, you've done a great job, you know, being a good resource for our team and, the overall firm. Thank you. Always happy to help Jane and Alex. And, you know, it's always great to have teams like yours who, you know, once again, aren't willing to just stand pat, always willing to incorporate new information and to integrate into their investment process. Great. Thank you, Barry. I really appreciate you coming on. I hope we could do it sometime in the future. And thank you, Jane. I appreciate your insights. I think it's, uh, it's been a good podcast. Um, Speak to you thank soon, you, guys. everyone. Thank you. This recording is intended for financial professionals and institutional investors only. This is not intended for use with the general public. The views expressed in this podcast represent those of the speaker and are subject to change. Nothing presented should be construed as a recommendation to purchase or sell any security or follow any investment technique or strategy and does not constitute advice, an advertisement, an invitation, a confirmation, an offer or a solicitation to engage in any investment activity or an offer of any banking or financial service. Throughout this presentation, various securities and companies are referenced. Examples given are for illustrative purposes only and were not chosen based on performance. This is not a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal. All examples herein are for illustrative purposes only and there can be no assurance that any particular investment objectives will be realized or any investment strategy seeking to achieve such objective will be successful. Past performance is not a reliable indication of future performance. Before acting on any information, you should consider the appropriateness of it with regard to your particular objectives, financial situation and needs, and seek advice. No representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made as to the accuracy or completeness of the information, opinions, and conclusions presented. In preparing this recording, reliance has been placed without independent verification on the accuracy and the completeness of all information available from external sources. Macquarie Asset Management is the marketing name for the Asset Management Division of Macquarie Group. Investment products and advisory services are distributed and offered by and referred through affiliates, which include Delaware Distributors LP, a registered broker-dealer and member of the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, and Macquarie Investment Management Business Trust, a Securities and Exchange Commission registered investment advisor. Investment advisory services are provided by a series of Macquarie Investment Management Business Trusts. Other than Macquarie Bank Limited, none of the entities noted in this podcast are authorized deposit-taking institutions for the purposes of the Banking Act of 1959 from the Commonwealth of Australia. The obligations of these entities do not represent deposits or other liabilities of Macquarie Bank Limited. Macquarie Bank Limited does not guarantee or otherwise provide assurance in respect of the obligations of these entities unless noted otherwise.